Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. Although Dr. Ian Smith needs no introduction, we're going to go ahead and give him one anyway. He is a New York Times number one best-selling author. He's created two national health initiatives, the 50 Million Pound Challenge and the Makeover Mile. He served two terms on the President's Council on Fitness, Sports, and Nutrition. Academically, listen to this one. The guy went to Harvard, Columbia, spent two years at Dartmouth, and then finished up at University of Chicago's Pritzker School of Medicine. He's got an academic resume that could hold up to anyone that I've literally ever heard of. He combines that with great popular appeal. He's appeared on The View, Larry King Live, and you might know him from Celebrity Fit Club. Sincerely though, we'll get into it in the podcast, but what appeals to me so much about Dr. Ian Smith is his ability to provide usable lessons for people that come from a wealth of academic research and understanding. He is getting it right on the individual and public health scale, and millions have benefited from it. We are grateful to welcome Dr. Ian Smith into the Good Athlete Project family, and we are very much looking forward to collaborating with him in the future. Folks, you are not going to want to miss today's episode of the podcast. The, the, the studies are as long as the day that um, poor nutrition has a major impact on the uh, scholastic aptitude and just the learning receptivity of, of kids. I mean, there's no doubt about it. For those who don't know, what is a food desert and why is nutrition so essential uh, to all of us, learners, practitioners, et cetera? Food deserts are areas um, that have a tremendous lack of nutritional um, availability uh, of food sources. And so typically these locations um, are uh, people live in areas that are surrounded uh, extensively by poor nutritional options processed ingredients, lack of whole foods, high sugar and fat contents, things that are not typically nutritious. Um, the range, you know, a mile, you know, a mile, one to two miles typically is considered to be living within a food desert, maybe even less, but it's not so much um, the distance as measured. It's so much the availability and access to it. They're all over the country. Um, I live in Chicago. They are extensive on the south and west sides of Chicago, where, where uh, people's uh, food sources tend to be either bodegas um, or groceries found in gas stations, believe it or not. I mean, people shop in gas stations. Uh, and so those are food deserts. The reason why I've had such an interest in food deserts, when people have poor access to proper nutrition, that means that they are suboptimally fueling their bodies. And when you have suboptimal fuel, then you are unable to have peak performance, whether it's uh, in the classroom, whether it's in ballet class, whether it's sports arena, whether it's at work. Yeah, there's there's no doubt. And I love what you just said, because one thing that we try to do um, to get people to eat better and focus on their nutrition is we try to reframe the why. So um, there's got to be an understanding. There's got to be um, motivation. And sometimes in our project, we shift the motivation from performance in relationships and, and academics to sports. So it's like, well, okay, it doesn't seem that important to me for, you know, I'm not thinking of the 70 year old version of myself, but I do want to be good at soccer. So, you know, listen, I, I am of the belief, the evolved belief that it often doesn't matter how you bring someone into the tent. It's about getting them into the tent first. And then once they get into the tent, then they can see, and you can open their eyes to all the possibilities and all the options, you know, you know, a long time ago, people believed in, in purist 
you had a, you know, weight loss, for example. You know, if someone said I wanted to lose weight because I want to look good in an outfit for my 25th high school reunion, people would say, that's the wrong reason to want to lose weight. You should want to lose weight because, you know, you want to be heart healthy. You want to, you know, have great longevity. Well, it's hard for people to see themselves 20, 30, 40 years down the road. So it's a difficult sell to a child to say, you know, you want to eat well now so that when you're 60, you look like this or feel like this. They can't relate to that. So I say whatever it is to get them into the tent, if you say to a child, which they can relate to, wow, particularly that a young athlete, if you do this, you have a great chance of being faster on the track, being able to hit more threes like Steph Curry, you know, these kinds of things. It's relatable. So it's all about how you make the concept and the process relatable to someone. I love that idea. And we talk about that. We work in weight rooms a lot and, and we're like, you know what? It's okay to go ahead and flex in the mirror every once in a while. The sa same idea, knowing that hopefully the back end of this is a, is a healthier place. Um, okay. So you are prolific. Is that, a, is that fair? Um, I'm getting there. You're working <laughs> on it. You're certainly working on it. Uh, what keeps you, what are your motives? What keeps you getting up and out of bed and, and doing this work? Well, I just think life is short. And I know it sounds cliche, but, you know, I just came back from finishing my last 50 states. I turned 50 in July. So I was doing 50 before 50. So I had four states left, five actually, Alaska. And then I had uh, North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana and Wyoming left. I just came back from that. And, you know, while I was out there on the road, my primary mission was to hit that goal, 50 states before 50 years old. I also kind of got lost and very reflective in the environment and how beautiful you know, these states were how vast, how open, how primitive uh, they were, how magnificent the Grand Tetons and Yellowstone. And in that process, it really affirmed for me what I already have been feeling for a long time, which is that, you know, we are transient beings. We our existence here is so, so small. It's not even a blip on a radar, really. I mean, if you look at the length of time and compare our lives on that timeline, it almost doesn't show up, right? It's not even a dot. It's the dot's too big. And I think what that does is it drives me to say, I want to maximize what time I have here, my health, to be able to be as productive as possible, uh, to leave a legacy, to make the world better in some way for someone else, to enjoy what's here without using it up uh, and, and, and being too consumptive. And so I think what drives me is the desire to experience the desire to really feel it you know and i think that you know that's organic for me mm -hmm. i love that and and <clears throat> so you clearly have such an amazing drive you do your productivity is through the roof and and your passion is clear but what i like so much about your messaging is that it doesn't assume that everyone's going to be like that right it's very usable we off we oftentimes will look at you know what's the exercise mvp mvp meaning minimum viable product what's the nutrition mvp hypothetically um, you seem to do that a lot these are very manageable chunks and maybe that's the perfect segue into clean and lean right um, because it seems like if nothing else okay well written interesting fun to look at but doable it doesn't seem overwhelming in any way let me give you um, <clears throat> Clean and Lean is my um, my 17th book. And um, it's I've been on the road for a while with these. But let me tell you two quick stories of of how I've my style has developed. One, I was on a very successful show called Celebrity Fit Club on VH1, where we help celebrities lose weight. And I had written this book uh, called The Take Control Diet, one of my first books I've ever written. 
I love this book. I thought it was smart, full of information. Uh, people should be able to absorb. They learn about calories and macronutrients, all these things that I thought were important for people to learn. And so I gave this book to the celebrities because my job was to help them lose weight. And the celebrities came back to me about a week after and said, you know, Dr. Ian, we love you. We think you're smart. We think you're great. But this book is too much. Like, just tell us what to eat, when to eat it, and how to eat it. That's all we need. Just something simple. And, you know, after recovering from the hurt, I got to admit it, I felt rejected that this thing that I thought was was so such a jewel of information that they discarded. After overcoming my personal feelings and then listening to them and understanding what they were trying to say to me, that really changed my whole approach to disseminating information, at least in book form to people, because people want things that are accessible, not dumbed down, but understandable. Uh, and they want something that's doable, sustainable. You don't want something that you can do for a week or two weeks and can't finish it. So my whole style, and the last thing is it has to be realistic. I never ask people to be perfect. I don't expect you to be perfect. My programs are not perfect in the sense of you're only going to eat the best foods. No, you're going to have pizza sometimes and pasta. But what I try to do is I try to make the programs relatable to people. I think that's why they've been so successful is because people like the idea that they look at it and say, I could do this. And that's what you want people to do. You don't want them to say, sit there and say, this is too hard. I can't do it. You want them to say, hey, I'm going to give it a try. I can do it. Yeah, it's so. It's just such a smart idea. And and uh, I like that you included not dumbed down. The the research behind this is, like you said, as long as the day. It 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 goes on for ages. It's really well considered. And then, but I'm I'm pretty convinced of this. And this is actually we talk about this. Alex is sitting over here. We talk about this regularly. How do we get to the classroom? to the, the field? How do we bring the literature? The, how do we get all of that onto the court? There are some best, best practices being set up, but are they usable or not? And that's what you have, and I think in a way that very few people do, is very highly researched, inc- super credible, uh, but super actionable. And even down to things like your book opens with, uh, we talk about intermittent fasting. I'll tell you, if I, if I told my mom I thought intermittent fasting might be beneficial for her. I, I, I don't think she'd know where to start. She'd be so intimidated. But you get into it in such a usable and easy and basic way that it feels, like you said, it feels doable. You know, what's interesting is that I have so many books that I have to write. I don't know if I'm going to get through all of them. I'm trying my hardest, but um, nonfiction and fiction. But one of the nonfiction books I want to write is for athletes, me being an athlete my entire life and how important athletes are to me. They've always have been and always will be. Um, but one of the things I always wanted to write was a kind of a manual, a nutritional manual for athletes, um, which I didn't have uh, when I was a high school athlete or a college athlete. Uh, but I think that 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 young athletes need some type of guidance. It doesn't have to be overly didactic, but they need some type of guidance of understanding how to fuel their, their bodies the best. How do you take all this great research that we have and make it applicable to a young person who's trying to build muscle, become faster, to lean out, whatever they're trying to do, how do you make it so that food becomes less of a social occasion for them and becomes a little more of kind of a process and practical means of achieving their end? And I think that's a that's a book I really want to want to write. I've been wanting to write it. It's just a matter of kind of fitting it into my slate, but I think that's important, right? I think it's important for kids to understand that if you want to go into a gym, and you want to bench three wheels in the gym, you know, you can't do that just by pumping yourself up with steroids and hormones. Like, you know, nutrition's got to be in there somewhere in that equation. Okay, so what is the right nutrition? What are the best sources of protein? Those kind of things that I think 
that kids can relate to, I think opens up the door for the bigger concepts you may want to teach them. I love that, man. And, and we, um, we talk about food as fuel sometimes. And actually, obviously, I'll keep all of this anonymous, but uh, we've had people referred to us with eating disorders and, and essentially have been, when we do it well, been able to sort of reframe one's relationship to food. It's really interesting. And, and the social occasion thing really rung true to me because I'm like, I don't know how often I order an appetizer of crab rangoon when I'm going, when I'm solo and I'm thinking about it, you know, but when you get into a crowd and you, you know, the momentum picks up and you start to make decisions like that. Yes. But real fast studies show, by the way, studies show that when people eat in groups, that their eating behaviors change, that their, that their choices change. Like you just said, when you go out by yourself and you're thinking a little, you're looking at the menu, you're actually thinking about it. You say, ah, do I really want this. Should I have this? But you know, you're sitting there, there's six of us, we're ordering all these entrees and stuff. Your inhibition is kind of lower, and that, that's well studied. Yeah, that's really interesting and totally true. Makes complete sense. Uh, you touched on an idea. Your next book, you are working on a book, and you've been working on it since college. And I, Am I right on this? Uh, that book, I finished the book. Is it uh, done? Is it out yet? It's out. It's called The Ancient Nine. Um, it's, a, uh, it's about my it's – a, it's, a, it's a mystery, a thriller mystery genre type book. It's about my experiences in Harvard, one of Harvard's elite secret societies called the Final Clubs. Uh, I started writing it when I was an undergrad because I knew that one day this story was so powerful. My experiences of being a kid from the other side of the track and getting into this very old guard, um, very secret, private, and rarefied world of secret societies at Harvard. I knew that somehow I had to tell that story. I didn't, wasn't sure how, but I started writing the story then. And published it last year, um, and actually just got option to be a movie. Oh, uh, so uh, I'm I'm excited about that. But yeah, thank you, thank you. I have a passion which is now coming out for the public. I've always had it, obviously, but I like fiction as much as I like nonfiction. I'm known for my diet and health and wellness books, but I still have an equal passion uh, for fiction, particularly mysteries, crime fiction. I, I just I just love it. I love that stuff. It makes me tick. And so that is that came out last year, and I'm working on. One right now that's due to my editor uh, on the 19th <laughs> in a couple of weeks that is about a um, private investigator in Chicago who takes on very few cases. He's a golf nut. Uh, uh, so he's a golf addict. And he used to be he used to work for the CPD. He resigned because he didn't want to participate in something unscrupulous. He becomes a private investigator and he only takes on select cases in the Chicagoland area that um, take him to different corners of the city. It's a pretty fun project. That, that's really cool. So, so these are uh, fiction based on actual events, or was Ancient Nine pretty true to life? Oh, the Ancient Nine was very much based on actual events. I call it not. It's called faction, fiction based on facts. Yeah. So it was very much based on my experiences. You know, as a young black kid, uh, getting into this very elite society and kind of what happens behind you know those big oak doors that they have. And you know, it was it was now of course I embellished it with some you know, some creative elements to it, um, you know, to fill out the story. But the storyline itself is is based on fact. This is just this is just for me. Was it uh, which one was it? Was it the one kind of in Harvard Square? So um, that was the pork or the PC, which is the one you're talking about in Harvard Square, the Porcellian Club, which is the oldest of the clubs. No, mine was uh, around from the square. If you walked towards Boston, towards Mass Ave, uh, through the square, heading to where the Harvard Inn was, uh, you take a right down Linden Street, had a big blue door, um, and you would walk down towards, you remember where the Hearst Castle was? I'm not sure I do. 
Yeah, the first uh, castle. With, yeah. That, the castle with the weird purple door that looks like a castle. So my club is right up the street. So in Hearst Castle uh, is on Mount Auburn. Mm -hmm. One side of it towards the river, you have the Fly Club where FDR was a member. And going up the street is my club. Um, it has a big blue door. You can't miss it with the number nine on it. Nine Linden Street. It's called the Delta Club. It was founded by uh, J.P. Morgan and some of his friends. Holy cow. Yeah. Well, we got to pick that up. That's amazing, man. That's really exciting. Um, all right. So uh, the next question is along this MVP model. Uh, now, I, I would say I, the easy answer is everyone who wants to know the answer to this question, pick up Clean and Lean or any of your other books for sure. But if you had to go to someone, so high school football player, it's hot. What are some sort of cornerstone bedrock nutrition staples that you would recommend they include in their lives immediately? Well, first of all, I think um, athletes don't hydrate enough. Um, even a person who's not an athlete, we lose water throughout the day, particularly in the summer, all kinds of ways. It's not just by sweating. People think if they're not sweating, they're not losing water. That's not true. You lose water through your lungs. You lose it through, obviously, your elimination, through your skin, through your head, breathing, everything. So hydration is key. Uh, so I don't think athletes hydrate enough, number one. Number two, I don't think they do a good job of electrolyte replacement. You know, so, you know, you lose sodium and chloride and potassium. You got to replace these things. Uh, and so I think that that's extremely important. I think athletes should also understand. I work with a professional tennis player to help her with her nutrition. And what I've learned from her is that a lot of athletes have no guidance whatsoever when it comes to nutrition, even professionals. Um, you have to understand the difference between fast carbs and slow carbs and when it's important to have fast carbs relative to your workout or relative to, relative to your game. You have to understand the difference between what nutrition works for practice and, your, and you know, in training and what nutrition works for game time, before game, post-game, post-workout. I think that um, you have to break down um, all the different phases of an, what an athlete goes through, right? You go through training, and your training obviously for what? For game time, right? Two different types of nutritional approaches should be had during those times because your demand is different. And when your demands are different, your types of food should be different. And so I think athletes um, need to better understand what the nutritional demands are based on what they are actually getting ready to do. I love that. You're so right. And, and it all comes down to intentionality. You, okay, so you mentioned the electrolytes. Genuine question. And if you are, a, if you are an employee of Gatorade, then, <laughs> then we'll uh, alert people about that. I don't know if that's true or not. But no. we just said we had G, G Week here. Uh, Gatorade week and, and they give us a lot of sponsor they give us a lot of stuff essentially um, I have some thoughts and opinions I'm curious what you think the nutritional value of a lot of those products might be I'm going to speak about the I'm not going to target Gatorade I'm going that's to speak fair about, that's fair okay that's yeah fair. I'm going to, and I, I'm not a I'm not attached to any sports drink by the way at all I want to say this sports drinks have a purpose right the purpose the major purpose purpose of sports drinks sports drinks is to replace electrolytes um, and also to have some carbs, right? That's important. Um, and so I think that the sports industry as a whole gets a bad rap unnecessarily. Sports drinks are not built for people who are sitting on the couch eight hours a day. That's it, right. They're high in calories. They're high in sugars. People sitting down don't need high calories, don't need sugars. But if you are an athlete and you are really you know, training and working hard, you actually need sugar. Sugar is important, by the way. Carbs are important. You need carbs, you need sodium, you need all these electrolytes that these sports drinks have, and you need calories, by the way, 
because the process of training and working out, you're burning through calories, your body needs to replace those calories also. So sports drinks have a good purpose. The question is whether or not the formula of a particular sports drink is better than another formula for another sports drink. And that's an internal conversation, a whole different conversation on which sports drink is best. But, but the concept of sports drinks is, is completely accurate and fine. The question is the execution by the manufacturers of the sports drinks they deliver to our shelves. That's exactly right. And I wonder, and I, and I won't make any claims against Gatorade, so I'm, I'm sorry to bring them up. But, but I th- I, it does come down to application and how we're using this. If you are sitting, the couch example is perfect. If you're sitting around on a summer day putting back Gatorade, that's one thing. But if you're coming off the football field or the soccer field, something completely different. That makes sense to me. But let me just add, let, me, let me just buttonhole that for a bit. But what I would like to see is a manufacturer really invest in the research and development and figuring out sports drinks that were a little more curtailed in a healthier way to how it replaced these electrolytes, like a little less sugar, um, uh, you know, keeping carbs in it, but less sugar, less added sugar per se, a different type of sugar. I, I just think that they're, I think that they can come up with better formulae that would be healthier, but still get the job done. That requires money and investment. It requires also convincing people who become familiar and accustomed to a certain type of drink and flavor flavor to be willing to change. But you have to take that gamble. I think manufacturers could do that. I think that, that's so smart. And I hope you're the guy that they come to, by the way. Uh, yeah. But, I, but I, I do think, I guess that's where my, at least mild skepticism comes in because that seems like the true and right answer. That feels right to me. I wonder though, if they, if you sit, can sell as many of those type of drinks to the people sitting on couches, if they're not quite, let as me ask you, know. yeah. let, me, let me ask you a question. Sure. After all these years, mm-hmm. how long has McDonald's been around? I don't know. 60, 70 years. Why are they now having fresh burgers, fresh patties, fresh meat? Why? Uh, I, is the global consciousness just sort of changing? I, or, or I would imagine that, or somehow access to fresh meat got cheaper and I don't think it's column B. No, I believe, and they probably won't tell the story, but I, I believe that the reason why they're finally doing it is because of market pressure. I think it's gotta be right. Big companies tend not to move because of an internal moral imperative. They tend to move because of external pressure of market forces. You look at so many places that are offering fresh burgers in a fast way. I'm going to just, I'm not proposing anyone, but look at five guys, for example, that has built up very rapidly. All their meat is fresh, right? And their potatoes. So people have shown over and over and over again that you can actually have fresh meat, fresh burgers, and still have it at a good price point. It may not be in the basement price point, but still at a price point that is not, you know, inaccessible. I think finally McDonald's says, geez, we're losing market share because people are willing to spend 10 or 15% more because they always, their model has always been, we'll give it to you cheap, 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 cheap. So that customer wants it cheap. Now, now they're realizing that people are willing to spend 10 to 20% more in dollars for something healthier and fresher, even though they liked the taste of a McDonald's burger and fries. So I just think that, you know, manufacturers have to be driven, unfortunately, not by this, like I said, this internal moral imperative, but because external pressures say you need to start doing this. 
That, that's a really important point. It's obviously spot on. And it really, it all comes back to understanding motivation and access. And th those are the three. And for motivation, we've kind of talked about this through multiple lenses. The motivation for McDonald's is bottom line and they're feeling the market pressure. And as we referred to before, the motivation for a lot of our kids is maybe their sport. So can we kind of in, in, input this messaging, change habits with that as their motivation instead of health? In neither case is it the health and wellness of people necessarily that's changing behaviors, but there's these sort of outside motivations. I think that the country would be better served if it took a stronger look at the importance of athletics in the education of children and the growth of children in life in general. Not obviously the vast majority, 99.9% .9 of high school or, or, or college athletes are not going to be professional athletes. That's not the point. The point is what you learn or what people can help kids learn in the athletic form are life lessons. And I think that the way the country has handled sports and physical education um, in our school system has been deplorable. Uh, and it actually is working against us. You wanna engage kids, you wanna give kids something different to, to do, uh, to get off the streets, to get off the computer and cell phones. You know, you gotta put money in places that can engage kids. Taking money out of physical education, making gym class an option, using your history teacher as your gym teacher just because you want to save on staffing, it's the wrong approach. And I think that 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 we're going to pay. I think we are paying for it because we're seeing higher rates of obesity in kids. We're seeing kids who are developing type 2 diabetes, which used to be, didn't start until people were in their 30s and late 20s. Now kids are having it. There was one study showing that kids had early signs of heart disease. So I think that the country as a whole has to rethink this model about how integral physical activity, sports should be in a young child's life. That's so powerful. Uh, I, that statement really resonates with me. We eat, move, sleep. If you don't get those things well, then it is really high, really difficult to be your best self in any field. Okay. And, and we talk about in, uh, in education specifically, best laid plans, the most intentional, well-considered curricula will always fall victim to the state of the student, to the state of the learner. And, and you're so right, because I'm not sure that that's quite as clear to people. So for that reason, budgets are getting cut to these really important areas. I've, I've said many times, I, I wonder if you'd agree with this, health class is probably the most important class that you could take when it's done well. It's the only class that will apply to all of us. All of us. And it's, and it's, and it's immediately and directly applicable, which kids can relate to, right? You can apply this right away, but unfortunately, like you said, when it's done well, when it's done by the right people, when it's well-resourced, and that's the problem we're running into, these classes aren't well-resourced. That's a good point. All right. Well, our time is short, so I've got one last really important question for you. I think it's really important. Uh, I'm, I'm incredibly interested in self-talk. So literally the language that we use to both frame the situations that we engage with to uh, that, you know, the language we use leading into potentially complicated situations uh, and the language we use specifically, I think, in, in, in your work to stick to habits and things of that nature. Is, are there any tricks of the trade either you use or you advise people to use when it comes to self-talk? Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, um, being, you know, a longtime athlete and still being athletic, uh, playing golf or tennis, you know, I'm always engaged in self-talk and, you know, I'm always convincing myself that I got it, that you can do this, you know? Um, and I think that what's important, one of the characters in my novel that I'm writing is facing a traumatic experience. And he hears the voice of his mother, not his father. He hears the voice of his mother in his ear saying, 
you know what to do. You know how to swim. You're a great swimmer. You know what to do. Do what you know how to do. And I think that self-talk is extremely helpful and extremely important. And people have to develop, develop it for themselves. Everyone has to find what it is, whether it's what the word cues are, what the situational uh, vision you have. Everyone has to find what it is that not just motivates, motivates them, but gives them kind of the adrenaline um, and the confidence that they need to be able to, to carry out a certain task. So for me, I just say to myself constantly, I know how to do this. I can do this. Focus, focus. And I think, you know, it's different, different people, but I think self-talk is very important. And um, it's not just in sports, by the way. Self-talk, I think, is extremely important in life in general. Totally agree. I love the focus idea, too. I love it. Well, thank you so much for your time today. You're a generous man, both with your understanding and your time. Um, I highly encourage everyone to pick up your work because, as you said before, really well researched, really well done, and usable. I think you can pick this book up, read it, and start moving on it tomorrow if you had to. Um, sure. And I was going to say, you know, follow me on Instagram at Dr. Ian Smith. Spell the doctor out, I-A-N Smith. And my Twitter is Dr. I-A-N Smith. And you said E. Say your expression again. So we have this this higher performance framework on the bottom bedrock level is eat, move, sleep. I'm going to add one thing to it. Eat, move, sleep, explore. Explore. Because people don't explore enough of the world outside of the small, insulated world they live in. They don't go beyond that. You have to explore. I think one of the major things that is limiting not just children in certain environments, but us as a country, is that we don't go beyond our natural borders, that's extremely important. This week's episode is brought to you by Remind Recover. Remind Recover is a supplement that helps athletes support brain health. Similar to how you drink a protein shake to help your muscles recover after a workout, Remind Recover has been scientifically formulated to give you the nutritional building blocks to help support healthy brain function. I am a huge fan of Remind Recover. It is as close to the science as any supplement I've seen, and feel free to check out their website for more. It's remindrecover.com. And when you go there, if you want to place an order, and I recommend it, use the code GOODATHLETE for a discount on checkout.